0: Hey gang, Rock here. Rolling solo tonight to deliver this short bonus Halloween episode. My loyal co-host with the most, Max, sends his regards. But grad school and travel for Marathon's call, and he must answer. But don't sweat it, he'll be back next week as we drop an especially fun episode. But as some of you might have garnered if you listened to our episode on La Lechusa or hauntings, I grew up in South Texas. And uh, in a house that was well, well, let's rewind. Honestly, the whole neighborhood that I grew up in was a bit of a hot spot for supernatural activity. I mean, not on an Amityville or Castle Glamis level, but definitely enough to make you question things a bit. Slamming doors, spectral figures, unexplained noises, dogs howling when the sun goes down. And a super spooky cemetery located right across the street from my front yard. It all played perfectly into a kid's imagination. Only a lot of the stuff that went down wasn't my imagination. And this episode, this short episode, this bonus, is just that. Me spinning a few yarns for you guys while Max is out running. And it involves that era, that time in my life. And uh, these tales fit in well with the season of All Hallows' Eve. So the story I'm going to tell first is basically a play on the classic Mexican genre of story known as Devil in the Disco or sometimes called Devil in the Dance Hall. So grab a pumpkin spice lager, settle down, and listen along. Nineteen eighty-three. my older sister moved in with her best friend, Julie. Now, my sister, who was a bit of a rebel, finally had had enough of my folks' house rules and decided she was done. And being that, you know, 18-year-olds already know everything there is to know, she had no doubt that moving in with Julie and her mom was the best move she could make. She'd find out in short order how wrong she was. Now, the town we lived in had limited places for nightlife, but one that was popular when it was around was called the Captain's Table, and it was a large place, drinks, dancing, all that. A place to see and be seen. My sister had been living with Julie for several weeks, and one Sunday night, Julie decided that they needed to go out. The Captain's Table was calling her name. Now my sister, who despite everything always had a good sixth sense about certain things, had a bad feeling about going out that night. She told her she wasn't into it. And despite Julie begging and cajoling her, telling her how much fun it'd be, my sister was adamant. I'm staying in. Julie's mother also echoed the sentiment, wanting them to stay in, saying she too had an odd feeling that something bad might happen if the girls were to go out julie was in many ways like my sister headstrong did what she wanted she was upset that they were both trying to get her to stay in so she did what many hot-headed teenagers do she threw on her coat grabbed her car keys and stormed out the front door she was gonna have fun come hell or high water According to my sister, Julie's mom immediately took out the Bible and began reading and saying prayers for her daughter, which only added to the feeling of foreboding and creepiness that was in the house. She said for the first time she regretted leaving our house and moving. That sense of safety and family that she felt there was nowhere to be seen. So Julie arrives at the captain's table, and it's packed for a Sunday night. People are there, the parking lot is full. She goes in and looks for familiar faces, but there are few to be seen. She gets a drink and is sitting at the bar when a handsome stranger walks up to her and introduces himself. He, according to Julie, was gorgeous. He asks her to dance and she, of course, immediately accepts, taking his hand and stepping out onto the crowded dance floor. They dance and dance some more. And she's never danced with such a graceful partner. She's having a blast, and then Julie notices something. It was small at first, but then it becomes more and more apparent as the night goes on. It was a smell. It was hardly noticeable at first, but as they danced, it became stronger. It reminded her, she later told my sister, of dead people. Of a funeral home. Finally, she leaned in and asked him where he worked at. Why, he asked. Well, don't take this the wrong way, but you kind of smell. The dark dancer smirked and asked what he smelled like. She told him she thought he might work at a funeral home or a graveyard. He had that sort of odor. He only smiled a secret smile and they kept dancing. She assumed he was too embarrassed to answer. So the night wears on and the dance floor thins out and Julie is finally ready to leave and leans in a tone him that she has to go. And as she does, she glances down for the first time and sees his feet in the strobing lights of the dance floor. He had a cloven hoof and a rooster's claw instead of two feet. Now that, in many traditions, is what the devil walks around on. Julie screams and backs away, freaking out. People are moving in, making sure she's okay, and she's pointing at the guy, the dancer. But he's not there. He's gone. Disappeared. She's shaken and wants to leave, of course. So immediately she heads out to her car in the now almost empty parking lot. To her relief, it's well lit and the coast is clear, with no other cars near hers. She gets in, starts her car, and then hears a knock on her window. She looks out and the guy's there, the dancer, smiling at her. She loses it, speeds out of the parking lot. When she glances back, the guy's gone. She later told my sister that there was no place for him to go in that almost empty parking lot. She speeds home and pulls into the driveway and runs to the front door fumbling with her keys. As she's unlocking the front door, she hears a car pull up in front of her house and stop, the engine idling. She turns and looks, and in the darkness of the car, she sees a figure at the steering wheel. A figure with glowing red eyes, staring right at her. Needless to say, she nearly tears down the front door, trying to get in. My sister said she heard the door slam open with Julie screaming for her mom. She was inconsolable, saying she was sorry for going out, saying that she saw the devil. According to my sister, the scene was horrifying. She moved back to our house the next day. Now, many of you out there may have heard variations of this story before. As I said, it's become kind of a genre unto itself. Now, my grandfather told us his own version of this. Same deal, same situation, only it happened in the 1920s. A farm dance, young people, and a young person that needed to be scared straight, as it was. My uncle, who happens to be a minister, has his own theory on these sort of encounters. And it's that the man upstairs allows the forces of darkness to enter some people's lives in order to get them back on the right path. Scared straight, indeed. Now, the next tale that we're going to dive into... Actually, tells there are a couple of quick encounters that took place here in Austin. As we touched on during the Lachusa episode, I used to work at a bar on Seventh Street called Mugshots. This was years ago now, and Mugs is still going strong. I'm happy to say. So, quick background: the building that Mugshots is in is old, a hundred years plus. Old limestone and a old basement, big stones in it, multi-level. But get this, it used to be a brothel, it also has this creepy low ceiling basement that we used to keep the beer in, next to the office, and let me tell you, at 3am going down there to restock became pretty damn creepy at times, and it never mattered what time of year it was, it was always oddly cold, and there's also this, has its very own ghost, the great lady, former brothel worker, who knows? he's been seen walking forlornly around the bar. The bartender I worked most with was Joe, hell of a guy. Also to my craft beer drinkers out there in the ATX, Joe is the guy behind Hitmaker Brewing Company. Amazing beers, give them a try if you haven't. That said, Joe had a few eerie encounters, here's a quick rundown. This took place after closing on a Sunday, everyone was out, gone home already. And Joe was counting his change out. Now, on Sundays, whoever was bartending was rolling solo the entire night, because they're usually slower. So it's after closing, 3 a.m., the witching hour. Joe pulls all the change out of the register and it's on the bar, uncounted. Just kind of has it all tossed out on there. He heads downstairs real quick to pull up a couple cases. He comes back up and is horrified to see the change is all stacked up and neat lines quarters lined up neatly in rows pennies nickels same thing so what does he do he looks around keeps his cool and says thank you and then he got the hell out of there as soon as he could the thing is this no one was in the building it was locked up tight and again he was rolling solo on that Sunday another time we were downstairs getting cases together and the jukebox turns on just allowed loud After closing was a cure song, just like heaven. We look at each other. This is not possible. Part of closing procedure is to unplug the jukebox. We go upstairs and the music shuts off before we get there. And yeah, the jukebox is still unplugged. Who knows? Maybe the Grey Lady is a fan of the cure. So guys, this is going to do it this time around. And again, this was just a short bonus episode that Max and I wanted to get out. Tis the season after all. These are the kind of things that we'll be continually doing here at Nightmares and Daydreams. Quick bonus episodes by either one of us. Solo dives, deeper dives into past episodes. Just keeping you guys up to date and creeped out a little bit, if we can. And as always, if you like what we're doing, please, please, it's so important, rate us on whatever platform you listen to and help us get noticed. It'll mean the world to us. The music is, as always, by the lovely and talented Teresa Joy. And please visit us at our website at NightmaresPodcast.net. Say hi to us on Facebook, Twitter, The Gram, all that jazz. And as always... Sweet dreams.